So what I would encourage you to do, especially if you are looking at this inside your church, understand who may actually be deemed to be a clergy. And, and this may take some weird forms. Like I said, what if it's the preschool director? What if it's the director of women's ministry? What if it's somebody who is actually a spouse of a pastor? They may think they're coming to the pastor's wife and that that is still covered by some kind of priest penitent privilege. And the answer is it may very well be. Welcome to the Church Council Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Story. I'm an attorney who specializes in church law, and I want to invite you along the journey as we explore my years of volunteering, working for, and then acting as legal counsel for the local church. During each episode, we will examine one of the three essential parts of building a secure church, your foundation, the framing, and the facade, where the foundation is your church's core beliefs, the framing is your operational structure, and the facade is the outward connectivity to your members and guests. Using this framework. We hope to simplify church law and proactively protect the minister's ministry and mission of your church and prepare you along the way for handling the unexpected events as they arise. Welcome back, church. Today, we are continuing our uh, three-part mini-series on mandated reporters, and we are going to jump right in today talking about our foundation. In our foundation of our church, which uh, again is the core beliefs of the church, one of the things that we have to deal with in this is something called the priest penitent privilege. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So who's this for? This is for pastors. This is for people who would be ministers, who would be broadly defined as clergy, because this is dealing with the person who comes in seeking spiritual guidance and maybe discloses something to you. And then we're going to have to talk about what we're going to do with that fact. Is that something we're going to be able to share? Is that something we're going to have to be able to keep confidential? And that's what we're talking about when we talk about this priest penitent privilege. Thanks for listening to the Church Council Podcast. If your church needs assistance with its foundation, framing, or facade, call the Church Council, a law firm for churches brought to you by the story law firm, PLLC. Visit churchcouncil.com or call 1-877-273-3830. Whether your church bylaws need an update or you need policies and procedures reduced to writing, let the church council be your trusted legal source. Visit churchcouncil.com today. And now, here's Travis. One of the oldest and most known privileges is the attorney-client privilege. As an attorney, I appreciate this privilege because it allows my clients to freely talk to me, tell me about the things that, that I really do need to know, even if they're honestly not great not great for them. Um, and they can do this without the worry that I'm going to turn around and disclose this to anybody because there is what's called an attorney client privilege. We've typically all heard about this privilege. It is the oldest, uh, and most well-known privilege, but today we're talking about this priest penitent privilege. Uh, this is a newer privilege that has been well-defined and has been around uh, for a very long time, but this is dealing with the sacrosanct issue 
of the confessional. And that's where it came from was this was first recognized uh, in a case in which somebody had gone into uh, into their priest and sought uh, the sanctity of the confessional and disclosed something to a priest and um, sought uh, sought their advice from a spiritual nature. And ultimately, the prosecutor tried to uh, be able to subpoena the, the actual priest that he confessed to. And so what did they end up establishing? They ended up establishing that there is a priest penitent privilege, which means that the priest does not have to disclose what is being uh, talked about when they're coming to them for a spiritual need. So we've got a couple of things that we really have to look at. This priest penitent privilege is a larger section. I know we're talking about our three-part mandated reporter series, but when we start talking about the priest penitent privilege, it comes up in all aspects of life. This could be somebody who's coming to you and seeking some kind of spiritual help, and they disclose to you something that honestly, it might even be illegal. So what are you going to do? And we're going to talk about that shortly, but I want to get a few terms just defined here. When we start talking about some kind of priest penitent privilege, we first have to start talking about confidential information. This is the thing that they are disclosing to you and how it's disclosed is a very big deal. If they are coming to you seeking uh, seeking some kind of spiritual guidance, and you are a pastor, you are a minister, you are a clergy, and we'll kind of get into what some of those terms are, but if you fit that description in any way, shape, or form, I would encourage you to know that if somebody is confessing something to you uh, while seeking some kind of spiritual guidance, that that is potentially going to fall right in the smack dab center of the priest penitent privilege. Now, who holds this privilege? And this is a big thing that a lot of times people don't understand. The person who holds this privilege is the person who is actually confessing it most of the time. The vast majority of the jurisdictions out there would say that the person who confesses it is the person who holds the privilege, which means they literally could tell you as the pastor, don't disclose this, both now when they're maybe making this confession, and honestly later, if it came to a court situation, uh, again, the prosecutor's trying to bring you in and say, Pastor so-and-so, you know, John Smith came to you and they confessed something, I want to know what that is. Uh, it may not be your choice whether or not you're going to disclose that uh, to to trial, to the jury, to somebody. That is the holder of the privilege's choice. Now, some states uh, do find that the the actual clergy member and the person who's doing the confessing, those are both people who control the privilege. So in order for disclosure to happen, both would have to agree to it. But most people, uh, most states would say that the person who is actually doing the confessing holds the privilege and they would be able to prohibit you from disclosing that further. Why do we do this? And, and this is kind of the big question. If somebody just confessed to me as a pastor that they murdered somebody, Am I really going to have to keep that secret? And, and that's a fair question. I, I get that when we put it in this context, it just feels wrong. But the answer is, if they came to you and they said, 
pastor, I need to confess something to you and I need you to help me uh, understand how do I get right with God? How do I seek forgiveness for this? How do I do insert anything that's ecclesiastical in nature here? Then they have come to you in the role of a spiritual advisor. They have come to you in the role of quote unquote clergy, minister, priest, rabbi, uh, insert whatever term you want, but they've come to you in that function. And as such, you have the obligation to keep that information confidential. Now you say, wait a second, Travis, I don't like that idea. What do I do about that? I I don't want to be put in that situation. Well, one of the things you can do is when you agree to talk to somebody, if they say, Hey pastor, I need to talk to you and, and I need to make sure that this is, this is secret. This is private. This is confidential. I don't care what use they, what words they use. If they are communicating that they want this to be kept quote unquote secret, then your answer can be sure. I'd love to talk to you about that. But if this hurts you hurt somebody else, please know that I'm going to have to disclose that. If you have given them that warning, then you have made clear that there is no priest penitent privilege when it comes to whatever this disclosure is about to be. And it also gives them the option to then say, okay, I don't want to tell you. And you know what? There's not anything you can do about that. If you think about it, there's probably a hundred people who could walk up to you at any one point and confess something that would be quote unquote secret. It may not be illegal. Uh, It it might just be immoral. It might be something, but they are under the obligation to tell you that. And if they do, they have the expectation that when they are seeking some kind of spiritual guidance, that you're also going to keep that you're going to keep that uh, private. And if you don't, they're going to have a potential civil claim against you. They're going to be able to control that in a, in a criminal, um, a criminal setting. So if they were actually brought up on charges, cause you disclose that you may never be able to tell a jury about that. And ultimately they would might be found innocent because um, you couldn't get in the confession, so to speak, that you thought you were doing. So this is an area where being proactive here pays off huge dividends because you want to make sure that you have given them the warning that if this is dealing with hurting somebody, that you're not going to keep silent about it. You're going to uh, be able to disclose that. So what happens if somebody comes in and they say, pastor, uh, I I've been abusing, uh, been abusing my, my stepchild. Uh, it, it can be physical abuse, sexual abuse, whatever abuse, but they're, they're confessing that. And they're saying, I just don't know how to stop. I need you to, to help me figure out how to stop. And, and maybe you could share some verses about how to stop something along those lines. Guess what? They've just invoked the priest penitent privilege, whether you knew it or not. And so the answer is you may not be able to do anything about that. And that's not an answer we really like, but that is an answer that is correct. So if you are doing counseling, I would encourage you to have some, some sort of agreement that says you're not going to have to keep things like this that, uh, if disclosed, would hurt other people, would hurt um, them. You're not going to keep those confidential. You're going to be able to share those. So you may want to include that in uh, some kind of counseling agreement. 
If you are a youth pastor and somebody uh, comes up and tells you, uh, you know, hey, I, I need help. Uh, I've been getting so mad at my kid. I've been smacking up, smacking them upside the head. Uh, and they're confessing this to you. Remember, this is not a mandated reporter because the person who's the adult is telling you. But this may be a criminal issue. So the question is, in that disclosure, were they seeking any kind of spiritual help, something that would be foundational to your church? Um, is, is that what they were doing? Are they seeking some kind of you know repentance or help with repentance? Are they seeking prayer? If they are, then that is probably going to fall under the priest penitent privilege. And so we, we need to make sure that we stop that before we ever get there. When we are discussing how we're actually going to proceed with making sure that we don't find ourselves in this awkward situation, the the short answer is we've got to communicate that up front. We've also got to um, look at our state laws. Some state laws require that the pastor can choose whether or not to disclose those. Four states, uh, in fact, as we'll talk about uh, on the next episode with dealing with priest penitent privilege and mandated reporters, those there are four states that, that actually don't recognize the priest penitent privilege when it comes to... Uh, any kind of abuse. So even though you might have the priest penitent privilege in most states, uh, you could have a state like Texas, for example, that doesn't recognize the priest penitent privilege inside the mandated reporter statute. That may mean you still have to report that. Uh, Are you ready for that? Do we understand that? When we are looking at what does this priest penitent privilege really look like and function like, one of the things that that I want to make sure we understand is this is for anybody that the person would declare or think is going to be a clergy, a um, a, a priest, a pastor. And this is not how you would hold yourself out, but how the person would perceive you. For example, Southern Baptists. Uh, Southern Baptists would say that we would not have women pastors. We might have a, uh, for example, a director of a preschool ministry. They might not be officially listed as a pastor. They may never have been uh, ordained. They may never have gone through any specific uh, ritualistic uh, ordination process, uh, anything like that. But if the person who is making the confession would perceive them to actually be a pastor or fill that role, then they are a pastor. So what I would encourage you to do, especially if you are looking at this inside your church, understand who may actually be deemed to be a clergy. And and this may take some weird forms. Like I said, what if it's the preschool director? What if it's the director of women's ministry? What if it's somebody who is actually a spouse of a pastor? They may think they're coming to the pastor's wife and that that is still covered by some kind of priest penitent privilege. And the answer is it may very well be because that's their perception of it, not necessarily the person's title. 
And so when we start looking at uh, some of these uh, terms as far as, oh, I'm not the clergy because I'm not the pastor, it's not your perception of that. It's not some legalistic definition. It's the person who is making the confession. It's their actual perception of whether or not this person is. And if they would believe that you are uh, in some ways, quote unquote, clergy, then they had the reasonable expectation that that priest penitent privilege would exist and that person would no longer be able to disclose anything. So we may have a wider net that is actually, you know, cast here with with pastors, with clergy than one would think. If you're sitting here saying, hey, we're a small church, we just have a a couple of pastors, um, that may not be everybody. If you have a highly involved volunteer that's serving a role somewhat like a pastor, they are leading your youth ministry. Somebody may not understand that they're not licensed, they're not ordained, they're not, uh, they're not a quote-unquote pastor from the uh, sense of the church, but they are somebody that the church has uh, put in a leadership position and has given them that mantle. And so therefore, they may be deemed to be pastorish, to be clergy-ish. And so that is not the standard that we're going to judge it by how the church is putting them in the, in the title, what they're giving them on a business card, for example. This is the person who is actually doing, uh, doing the confessing, so to speak. And so as we go through this, that's a very important point to make sure that everybody is going to be included in this. Um, and those people who may even serve in in interesting roles that you may say, oh, okay, um, maybe they maybe they're a a different um, mandated reporter, for example, one of our, um, for example, a school that's attached to the church. They have somebody who's a teacher, but yet they're also teaching Bible. And they've got a ministry degree. Are they a teacher or are they a pastor? They may very well be a pastor in which the priest penitent privilege would attach, even though, as we'll talk about in the the next episode, the mandated reporter law might say, oh, well, maybe you're a teacher in that function. You may be a teacher in that function, but you may also be a pastor, a, a clergy. And if so, that's going to have an exception to the rule potentially. So when we're, when we're making these uh, determinations, we really have to look beyond what we would a lot of times say is the right answer because we uh, have put somebody's, you know, a title to somebody's name. We've got to understand how that person's being being uh, viewed by the person who's making the claim or making the disclosure, and that's very well something that you may find uh, is a lot broader in nature than what you would have naturally uh, said. Oh, okay, these are our pastors; these are our clergy. And if that's the case, that priest penitent privilege has applied, and you're going to have to deal with with the ramifications of that, and then walk through that uh, a lot more carefully. So as As we wrap up this particular episode dealing with the priest penitent privilege, really what are we talking about needing to do? And our practical, proactive tips are going to be that anytime we're counseling with somebody, we need to have a disclosure notice. 
So if you are having somebody come talk to you, uh, I would encourage you to have a written uh, counseling agreement. And part of that agreement says that you are going to be able to disclose uh, if this information hurts hurts them, hurts somebody else, that that, that is going to be something you're going to do. And again, this doesn't just have to be uh, minors or the elderly. If they're coming in to disclose that something they're doing is hurting even a spouse who may uh, be of age, but if they're confessing something, you, you want to be able to say that, then you need to have that disclosure up front. If you can have it in writing, that's even better. But if nothing else, you need to have verbally said that and had them acknowledge that. The other issue is we need to make sure that we're really defining who we think the potential clergy could be within our church. And these may not be people who have formal seminary degrees and they're pastors, quote unquote, they've been licensed, ordained, they've been, uh, they've been, you know, given a priesthood, whatever. This is who the person is going to believe is going to be that clergy person. And so that may not just be men, that may be men and women, maybe serving in all different areas. It may be a, a preschool director that is being confessed to outside of the preschool uh, context, outside of anything else, and they need to know what to do. So it could be adults. Uh, and, and so any of these any of these confessions that happen, if we don't have the disclosures properly, if we don't ask for the disclosure privilege after they just came, came up to us and blurted out, I killed somebody and they made some kind of, you know, confession, but they've also asked for uh, some kind of spiritual help. If, if we can't reframe that, if we can't bring them back to allow us to disclose, well then the short answer is you're not going to be able to say anything. And I get that that answer is not the answer we're looking for. But if you think about it, it does make sense on why we want that to happen. Just like, as we stated to start with, I want clients to come in and talk to me freely because I'm going to represent them. If I need help from a spiritual point of view, I may need somebody to come in and be able to to tell me everything so that I can help them work through their spiritual problems. So enforcing this privilege is an important thing. I do think we want it, but knowing how to get around it, knowing how to deal with it up front proactively is the key. And if we do that, you will make sure that you are staying well within the law. You are not disclosing anything that could have uh, any kind of liability with, and it will secure your church because any questions regarding any of these disclosures uh, are able to be made to be done in the daylight. And because we know that we are going to disclose those things. And so as you prepare to assist your uh, pastors, your, your staff, anybody, make sure that they understand that while they may not have this pastor label on a business card as their job function, they may be acting as such. And if so, you need to make sure that they are properly trained and equipped to know what to do uh, should somebody come up and, and make a disclosure to them. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Church Council Podcast. I've been your host, Travis Story. I truly hope that the practical takeaways from today's episode is something that will bless and protect your ministry. If you found today's discussions helpful and want to be updated as we publish new content, please subscribe so that you're notified as new episodes become available. Also, if you found that today was worthy of your time, please leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice so that other ministries can find and be blessed by this content. Until next time, keep serving and protecting your ministry. Please.